After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where, they, where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you at this table, and we're about to come before you in the Lord's Supper. We're reminded about how sinful we are. And this week, we see in the news the depravity of all humanity, that after centuries, we still struggle. And Lord, this is not only a sociological problem or this is a spiritual problem that's rooted deep in, in sin. And so, God, we ask for you to strengthen the church as you washed it clean through the blood of Christ, as you've nourished it and empowered it, that we would be your salt and light, that we would be your people and hands and feet, that we would saturate and impact this world, especially to bring justice, to bring truth, and to bring grace and love for this world. Lord, we need your wisdom because it is complicated and hard. And so as we turn to your word, remind us and encourage us of the vision you have, that this world is truly not our home, but where you are is where our heart is, where you will bring together the new heaven and new earth that will be our resting place. So God, our eyes and hearts look eagerly to you. Guide us now by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, just going to jump right into it, and about two, three weeks ago, in Southern California, the weather is, has been just remarkable. It's been 75 degrees, sunny, beautiful, and one day I went outside, and I just was amazed at the fresh air, the birds, the trees, and it, it was stunning because in that moment, I actually forgot we are in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. In fact, I would have even believed that, oh my goodness, there is no pandemic. The world is just the way it's supposed to be. But I would be wrong. And in the same way, 
Um, when we think about our world and the way we feel, what we see, it may feel like the world is just doing well. There's no racism. There's no injustice. There's no hardship because my life, it looks so great. And that's the problem. It doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist or injustice doesn't exist or inequality doesn't exist. It means that in that moment, the way I feel seems clear, but the world is fractured. And these past two weeks have been an upheaval, and we prayed, and we cried, and we lamented, and we just were angry about what we're seeing. But it reminds us that we do live in a world where we've forgotten who we are, and how do we live this world life correctly? And so, where I want to go with today's message is this idea, and it's simply this, that racism is one of the most toxic sins in the kingdom of God. Racism is one of the most toxic sins in the kingdom. It's not just a problem, it's toxic to the church, universal, and to God's kingdom. And we'll go into today, why is that? And so, as I start that off, I need to say a statement that a lot of you may agree or disagree Riots have to stop. We have to stop the riots. And I think a lot of us will agree. These riots, this, this craziness has to stop. And there are three ways we can stop riots. One way is we sit and pray and wait it out and hope that, you know, all these angry people could just go away and life will turn back to normal. Another way we could stop it is, hey, bring in the military and the police and show them who's boss clamp down and arrest everybody, these crazy rioters. Or there could be a third way. And Martin Luther King Jr. says this, social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. The third way we could stop these riots, according to Martin Luther King Jr., who knew this stuff really well, he says, social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. And so there is a way we could stop these riots. It's to advance in bringing justice into this land. In that same speech where he made that quote, Dr. King uses this line, but in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. Riot is the language of the unheard. He's not suggesting we should riot, he's actually condemning it. What he says in that same speech is we should condemn even more the cause that is creating these riots. So let me read an excerpt that could probably clarify this. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what, ha what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And so today, around the country, 
It's so good to see pastors and churches acknowledge we cannot be silent anymore. We cannot just wait and ignore the plight of some of our neighbors, specifically our black communities. I think ministering and growing up in a Korean church and being part of a white church and a multicultural church, I can see how easy it is for us to ignore the plight of those who are crying injustice. We just want our own comfort and status quo. Just, that's your issue. I have my issue. I don't need to hear your issue. I have plenty of problems on my own. But this is what God tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member suffers, all members suffer together. And I just had a mini aha moment because I'm still learning. And one of the best things we can do is keep learning. Don't minimize it, diminish it. We have to explore what is it that I don't see. And it just occurred to me, and forgive me, my black brothers and sisters, that if I'm late to the show, the black people are the only people who came to this continent for 400 years ago in 1619, and some say just even before that. And the way they came was through slavery. They didn't come for a vacation or seeking new life. They came as slaves, and for 400 years, they had nothing but an uphill battle. That's what distinguishes their plight from the Asians who also had racial discrimination against the Latinos. And so we have to recognize the historical implication is, is pretty massive. Uh, one of the short uh, video clips said this of, of educating on racism, and it ends with this. The consequences of slavery and Jim Crow laws are still affecting access to opportunity today. And so feeling unheard, there is crying out. And so why is racism toxic to the church? Why is racism um, something that, that's tearing apart not just the universe and the, and the country, but even the church? And so today we read Revelations chapter 7, and it gives us a good indicator first. And the idea, first idea that we see in Revelation 7 is race matters to God. Race matters to God. Um, it says in Revelation 7, 9, the multitude gathered before the throne, and it's diverse. Races exist before God's throne. They don't become all blended together, and they all look a, a shade of yellow or white or brown. But there is this incredible distinction, multitude of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so after this, I looked, and John says, And behold, a great multitude that no one could count. It was just a wave of people. And every nation from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And the worship to God in that final place where we find our home is going to be gathering the people together from every nation. Christ is for the world. And so just, I'm just wondering, when you and I go to heaven, and if we thought uh, less of one another, other races, or even, I just had this thought, and it's kind of weird, and I'm, I'm a weird guy. I just can't imagine if by chance some slave owners were genuinely Christians, and they, they wrestled with that. But they were genuinely Christians. Some of, a lot of them were not. 
They just used the Bible to impose slavery. But let's say this, some slave owners were genuinely Christians, and they knew Christ, and the slaves were Christians. I just can't imagine how awkward that would be, going before the throne as brothers and sisters and equal, and saying, hey, let's worship God together. There is that kind of injustice for centuries, and it's still going on to a degree. And so the common line we hear is this. Um, I hear this a lot, and people mean well. They say, I don't see race. Pastor, I don't see color. We're all human beings. And that's actually almost good. The problem with that statement when we say, I don't see colors, we're all humans, is, is this. God would disagree with you. God sees distinguished races and people, even when we're with him before the throne. And so instead of saying, I don't see races, what we say is, in our church, which is very multicultural, I see your, your Filipino race. I see your Mexican heritage. I see your European, your German heritage. How beautiful, your Swedish heritage. Teach us. Let's celebrate this beauty that God has designed in this mosaic and, it, and what we say a lot in our church is how crazy it is. How does this church function with so much diversity? How are we still together? Only by the grace of God and through the bond in Jesus Christ. And so race matters to God. And today we get a glimpse of it. It's hard, but in that one future day, we'll be all together. Second, races were created by God for a purpose. Where did races come from? We all came from Adam and Eve, and how do we become Asian, Latino, African-American, white? What happened? How did that happen? And so you, you and I probably grew up knowing this story, and one day in Genesis chapter 11, um, the people wanted to build a tower so they could make a name for themselves, and this is what it says. Come, let us go down. Well, they wanted to build a tower so they could make a name for themselves, and they forgot God. So God says, come, let us go down and there, and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. It was God's doing to scatter them into different languages to confuse them so they don't understand one another and so that they don't build this tower so they forget God and think that they are themselves the end all. It could be a judgment. It could be a design. I think that's arguable. But one thing that is not is racists came out of God's doing. And so it's fascinating. Humans, humans want to be known so much that God is the one that's guiding us as a parent. And the creation of race was not necessarily a judgment, but it was a design of God. I don't know about you, but when I go to the mall, and food court, when they open up, and you're really hungry, and there's like 20 restaurants, how bad would it be if every restaurant was sold hot dogs? Like, uh, let's go to a different mall. What I love about malls is, hey, you could have Italian food, Chinese food, Vietnamese food, American food, hot dog, hamburgers, steak, tacos. And so there is this beautiful design out of, that God always creates out of fracture, brokenness, and sin. And he always does something beautiful this mosaic. And so God's purpose and design was to create these races. And he goes on. The third thing God does is um, 
God's plan is to bring all races, not just one race, into his family, salvation through Jesus Christ. God's plan of salvation includes all races in Jesus Christ. And so there's many expressions of this, but since we're near Pentecost, I want to share this Pentecost story. What was the outward expression of Pentecost? The disciples were praying. We talked about this last week. And then the wind was blowing and a fire was blowing and fiery red. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They were all speaking languages of foreigners. They didn't even understand what they were saying. But foreigners who were in the town of Jerusalem were able to understand it. They were going, wait, what? why am I hearing my own language? And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 5 and 8, um, now there was a dwelling uh, in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed, saying, Are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear and each of us in his own native language? Pentecost undoes Babel, the tower, and where people couldn't understand one another and God had to divide them, God reverses that, and now they could supernaturally, through the Holy Spirit, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they could understand and connect with the world. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled these believers, and they were so amazed, Peter goes out, and he preaches his first sermon. And this is quite a sermon, because it says at the end of the sermon, 3,000 were saved. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit to speak other nations recognizes the sacredness. God is saying, I have not come to just redeem my people Israel, but now the door is open. All people. And so Matthew 28, 19, 20, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the days. And so God is bringing all people together. So when we hear that and we start pushing and making other people and certain groups and even in our churches, kind of pushing them away, like we were kind of like one, our own people, we, we are going against the grain of God's good news of what he's doing. And so God gathers all his family in the end, all of them together. And I just, Revelation 7, the picture is there's no segregation. Um, it doesn't say, okay, uh, Koreans, you go on the left side. Okay, uh, you know, uh, Chinese, you go in the back. And, you know, Scandinavians, you go to the right. They're just a mob of world of just all these different people gathered together, and they're worshiping, and the multitude is praising God, and they're singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And the beauty of this is that there's a unity in this common worship and adoration of Jesus Christ. And so God scatters them in Genesis chapter 11, and God gathers them and assembles them through Jesus Christ. The best, ultimate way we can have unity is to be covered by the grace and the blood and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. In there, we literally can become blood brothers and sisters through his blood. But in the meantime, even if they're not Christians, we have work to do. There, is way, there are ways we can reconcile and bring this 
And so we want to see God glorified in all this. And so a statement I want to make to Koreans and, and whites and all people and blacks and Hispanics is that the unity we find in the diversity is in the identity of the one who created us for his pleasure. That is where we find ultimate unity in this diversity. It is not, I'll bear with you. It is, wow, we have been fused together through Jesus Christ. And so, if all of this is good news, where do we go from here? And just, I want to leave us with some practical things. And there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of essays. There's a lot of good books. There's a lot of great dialogue happening, conversation. And the first place we want to go, this is the picture of heaven. The way we live now matters. The What you do today matters. The protests will probably get quieter. That's just what happens. But the work of reconciliation for the church has to go on. It can't be just uh, the flavor of the month. We have to wake up and realize this is not the way God intends his kingdom. And we have to get angry that our brothers and sisters are hurting. We have to get angry that there is injustice. And so a good place to start is by confessing our own sins. I think that's always a good place to start. Before we try to help people, before we try to say, okay, what can I do? I think a good place is to just confess our sins, specifically the sins of racism, again and again. I'm convinced, this is my opinion, when people say, you know, I'm not racist, I don't think that's a question. Every single one of us, having sin nature, we have a propensity for prejudice. It's a question of how much of racist attitude and personality drives you. And some of us, we've sanctified it, we've confessed it, we bring it to the Lord, but there is this desire in us to have ethnocentric tendencies. And so, for those of us who profess Jesus as Lord, we need to identify, name, and confess, Lord. If I have ever condescended, condemned, looked down on people just because of their culture and their color, their skin, Lord, have mercy. It's not just a black and white issue. Asians have struggles with Latinos, Latinos with blacks, and it just goes on. And I know Koreans had a struggle with Japanese and Chinese, there's, there's always this tension, and the first place to start is to recognize our own sins. And so, friends, in Jesus Christ, we offer worship to God on a day like this, and the, there's this prejudice lingering, and I still don't know how slaves worshiped God in the 1800s and still abused humans made in the image of God, but again, that's something we're just trying to understand. But if we are today worshiping God with great songs and crying, but in our hearts we have disdain for people of color or, or even whites, minorities against whites, this is what God says to us in a rebuke. In 1 John 4.20, um, this is what he says. If anyone says, I love God, right? We're worshiping God, you're awesome. And hates his brother... What is he? He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This single verse just annihilates this hypocrisy in, in me, in all of us. 
to say, Jesus, you're my everything. But deep inside, we joke, we comment, we have a, that little subtle racist tendency. And deep inside, we really don't care about other people. This is what God is rebuking us with. So we fight racism by acknowledging our sin and going to the cross over and over to ask God through Jesus Christ, Lord, have mercy on me. Second thing, we need to proclaim the good news, but it's not just preaching. See, we could get away with this. We could say, believe in Jesus Christ, forgive your sins, he'll forgive your sins, and you'll go to heaven. But I think that's where we fall short. We need to recognize the the travesty of sin in all of us. We need to undo this damage of sin throughout the world. We need to be the hands and feet of Christ. So it's not just preaching and proclaiming the good news of four spiritual laws or believe say the sinner's prayer. The church, we have work to do. We can't just proclaim it. We have to work at it. And so first thing is we can't remain silent anymore. We can't just, I'll pray for you. And so James even talks about that, right? If someone says, I'm hungry, and you say, oh, God bless you, I'll go in peace, I'll pray for you. Give him food. If someone is saying there is injustice, when I drive and a police car pulls me over just because I'm black and I've done nothing wrong and, they, they, and I have to follow my parents' advice, just keep your hands, don't, don't talk back. I never have to do that talk with my son, Ethan. But for black families, this is what they've been experiencing years and today. Every single one of my black friends, by the way, pastor friends and black friends, have had that happen to them. That just blew me away. I did not realize that. And so the way we, we can't be silent, it's stunning that church members, we make noise about flowers and worship style, and we make no noise about our neighbors who are grieving this. And so I think this is the problem that we, we're facing. And just acknowledging this is happening in the world, it's, it's being heard. That's a great big first step to say, I see you. We hear you. And that's why we're protesting. That's why the protests are gathering. We hear you. We see you. And we want to be part of this. This is not right. And so just walking with the people. In Cyprus, we had a protest. I was shocked. I would say 90% were either Asians, white, or Latinos. It wasn't the black community. It was the rising community. And I thought that was so amazing. I've never seen that. And so I think there is the first step happening. And just acknowledging that is good. Here's what we need to stop doing, though. Can we stop? And I need to stop doing this, too. And it's this. But if they, only, if they only did this, but why are they like that? And, and so we make these statements. We say, well, it's their own fault. We need to just stop doing that and just in silence just listen to their stories. And so if you don't have any black friends and you're just scoffing at everything going on, here's one graceful specific thing you do. Go to a neighbor that you know or a colleague and just say, hey, I've never heard your story. Tell me, what was it like growing up that I don't understand? That's a great first step. What is it that as a white person that I'm not seeing? What is it as an 
Asian person, I don't know your story. And so I love our pastors in La Mirada. We gather together. We have two black, two, two or three white, Hispanic, Asians. And I love that we can learn from one another. And this is what God has planned, just hearing their stories. And so as I wrap this up, Revelation 7 ends in this beautiful way that since racism is ultimately a sin issue, the only answer is Jesus Christ. And what Jesus died on the cross, the sin that brought death was brought upon him on the cross, and he took your and my sins. And the way it ends is, verse 15 is this, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. We may not see one another as we are, but Jesus sees everyone as they are. And in Christ, he has redeemed all nations and all people. He has become the refuge and the safe place. There is neither hunger, thirst, injustice, because he has taken all of it. So the, this diverse gap people is not the end. It is the means to the end that we could gather before the throne to worship God. And so the picture is beautiful. And so I just want to leave it here at that. I just want to end with this, that if Christ is our living hope, how do we bring that living hope into this world in a way that people who are crying out injustice can be heard and that the church will not just sit back and just hope that we'll be a nice, safe church, but because Christ extended himself to the point of death, what is it that we're called to do to proclaim this good news in Jesus Christ? That's our challenge, friends. Let's pray together. I want to end with this prayer of confession as our first step is to just acknowledge it. But before we pray it, if you could just take a moment to pause for 15 seconds. And let's pray this prayer together. Would you join me? Almighty God, in Jesus Christ, you have called us to live as loving neighbors. But we confess that we tend to look out only for our own interests. Instead of sharing our resources, we keep them for ourselves. Instead of supporting our neighbors around the world, our hearts have stayed home. Instead of hearing the cries of injustice by our neighbors, we have ignored them in order to maintain our own status. We listen only to those who agree with us, and we demonize those who think differently than we do. Please forgive us as our sins of omissions and our commissions. Help us to empathize and love as you have loved us. Help us to see one another through your eyes that we might offer others the grace that you have offered us freely in your son. Make us more like Christ. In his name we pray, amen.